Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and eBooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome back to Resilience Unraveled. And it's a, um, a blast, actually. David Bentle and I, who's my guest today, have been having a gossip um, before we started this podcast and discovered we have all sorts of things in common, uh, shops, local knowledge. My goodness, it's been a, a blast so far. So I'm really looking forward to our session today. So good afternoon, David. How are you? Great, Russell. Thanks so very much. Good to get to know you and spend some time together. Brilliant. Well, why don't, uh, well, obviously I can hear that you're from across the waters. So tell us where in the world you are today. I'm in Vancouver, British Columbia, British Columbia. My dad and yes. my grandpa both uh, were business folks here and uh, our roots are pretty deep in British Columbia here. But yeah. my grandpa's originally from England, so delightful Colum- to meet Colum- another English That's, That's right. <laughs> Second generation. Well, it's lovely to see you. I, I love Vancouver. It's a fantastic part of the world, yeah. And um, tell us a bit about yourself and what it is that you do. Well, thank you, Russell. I, I, I guess I really have had two careers. My first career was to follow my dad and my my grandpa into the real estate and construction businesses. And my last job in the business was to be president of our commercial construction business. And then uh, because we're a family business, uh, some people who are listening to us might recognize family businesses sometimes go sour. And sadly, my dad and his two brothers had a parting of the ways and uh, most all of our businesses got sold about uh, 25 years ago. Well, and so Russell, as a consequence, uh, People ask me to come and speak about my experience. Like, how did you guys screw this up? Uh, and uh, so I've made a bit of a career, frankly, uh, sharing the mistakes we made yeah. and what, uh, what what people can learn from our experience. And uh, the university asked me to set up a center for family business studies. I've written two books about my experience. And now I work full time, Russell, helping other families, as I say, to, to get a better result than we did in the end. And so I, I work as an advisor to families and business together. So that's what I've been doing for the last 25 years. Yeah, that's absolutely fascinating. I actually spoke at the the first African Family Businesses uh, Summit in uh, Ghana this year. And, oh, uh, amazing. Yeah, so um, after this, you and, I, you and I'll have to talk about that because I think it'd be very interesting. But Well, well Russell, fa- family enterprises are the backbone of the global of economy. And, and yeah. so to try and help folks understand how to have the family yeah. and the business not harm each other and to have them... Yeah. That work well together is what I'm passionate about. It, it's quite fascinating because actually I, I suddenly realized I'm in a family business because I have a business with my wife. 
and um, you know, we there are a lot. There are a lot more, as you say, they are the backbone of. Um, They're everywhere. My wife everywhere. and I ended up. We did a bed and breakfast together for four yeah. years, and she she did she did all the cooking and the cleaning. But uh, yeah. we we had a we had a home business for a while. So. And and one of the biggest challenges seems to be, uh, and there's a lot of challenges, aren't there, with family businesses? But the biggest challenges is the the um, the wearing of the different hat between. Mm-hmm the employee or the corporate status and the sort of familiar or the relationship status because that has a unique dimension isn't it you can't fire well you can't you can, fire someone it's, it's, you can fire tough. someone from the firm but come the next Sunday lunch it's going to be trouble at mill isn't there that's the trouble but, isn't it well and then and then Russell there's the other hat because we've got the employee hat and the fam- family hat but we also have the ownership hat and yeah and there's the confusion confusion there I, I know as a young man I was only an 8% owner of our family company, but I wanted to put my ownership hat on all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I needed to learn to to use my employee hat more often. Yes. And the other thing that seems to be, I don't know if you've seen this, um, the other thing that is this, this idea that you have the founders and then you have the second generation who come in and really drive it. And then the third generation come in and they just want to spend the fruits of the second generation and then the phone turns turtle. And I hadn't realized how much evidence supports that view. So this this idea about succession and moving the business on and bringing in those professionalized, you know, the old um, sigmoid curve idea, uh, you know, bringing those ideas in is really important. And it's actually quite tricky to do again because of the power dynamics in family businesses. Well, and if you think about it, you know, I was with earlier this week, I was with a founder. uh, And and if a founder, this gentleman has spent 44 years with the business. he's really committed to its ongoing success. So to, he's got three capable young offspring, G2. But does he want to let them <laughs> have their, uh, he, he wants them to, he wants them to run it, but he doesn't want them to wreck it. That's in, he's in conflict with himself, yes. right? Because he wants to let go, but can't really, right? Yes. So I'm guessing one of the critical, one of the critical dynamics of a family business is to is to manage relationships. Is it? Would you would you put that at the heart of the issue? And well, obviously, before you manage businesses, you've got to be able to manage yourself. Well, I, I, totally right. And and Russell, we're going to talk a little bit later about the book that I've just written, and you know, it's called Dear Younger Me. And it's about uh, emotional intelligence for next gens. And people say, why did you write a book about emotional intelligence? And I said, frankly, it's not about that. It's about emotional intelligence as a catalyst for better relationships. Because if if I manage myself, as you say, so for example, one of the traits we talk about, if I can be more patient, well, that's going to make a difference in my relationship with my dad or my uncle, and I'm working together with them. That's going to make a difference. And Russell, as I look back over my career, I thought being impatient was a virtue, right? Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a young driving executive who wants to make things happen. Uh, yeah, well, I made things happen. I caused an explosion that, you know, that tore my relationship with my uncle apart, right? So. Yeah. So managing myself, you know, if I looked, if I could do it again, Russell, I think if I had two things I would have done differently, would have been had more patience and had more humility. I was so full of answers, so full of answers. Do you think, do you think, um, I just got distracted by the little tiger in your back, in your, um, in your screen. (laughs) Sorry about that. (laughs) Not that I'm easily distracted. I was just going to think, do you, do you think that most people who are coming into a family business as part of the succession plan should actually work somewhere else so they I, have perspective because actually perspective is the thing that often grows wisdom isn't it and often when we talk about emotional intelligence we're talking about how do we get wisdom quicker mm-hmm. um, so i just wonder what you think about that in, in my earlier book i wrote a whole chapter about the importance of working outside the family company and 
And Russell, I had the opportunity for two years in my earlier in my career to work with the Cadillac Fairview Corporation, which at the time was the largest North American publicly traded real estate company. I worked in their shopping center group. And the opportunity to work outside the family company for a season, whether that be five years or 10 years, Russell, I think it's got a host of advantages, but the, but the main three, and I think there are at least three, mm. is that you, you develop credibility in the eyes of the non-family employees. Yeah. Because you've shown that you can actually hold a job somewhere else, yeah, somewhere else. without daddy or mommy looking after you, right? Yeah. So you credibility to, in the eyes of other employees. Secondly, credibility in the eyes uh, of the rest of the family. Yeah. You know, I, I was one of 11 cousins. I was the only one working in the family business. Yeah. Had I stayed away a little longer, perhaps that my cousins might have seen me as, as as a credible leader. And then I think even most, most important um, or more important, if I look in the mirror in the morning, am I there in this job because daddy put me there? Yes. Or actually, can I hold a job? Do I actually know how to Yes. How to walk and chew gum. So I think working outside a family company is extraordinary. But I have a, I have a, a client who I know who, uh, fairly well. They have a not a work outside the family company two years, suggestion. Mm. They have a requirement for next mm. gens to work outside the family company for ten years before they knock on the door. That's you cannot idea. work in the family company without ten years experience. Also, yes. I think it's a huge factor. Yes, because you're not just learning perspective. You're learning. The proper skills, like how to deal with people you don't like, because actually there's an there's an implication that you like your family, but that's very rarely that it's all, not always true, isn't it? The old blood is thicker than water is 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 a is a problem, isn't it? Because we all know the 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 uncle that no one likes, but has happens to be very good at driving a business forward. But and and you know working outside the family business allows you to learn those skills that you actually need. Otherwise, you never learn them. You're never practicing on anything less than live ammunition when you walk into a family business. So you have to pick the skills up somewhere, don't you? Without it being so deeply personal. Well, and the other thing that it, if you work outside of a family business, you'll get genuine feedback from other yes. folks. Uh, I had the privilege in our family firm to have a mentor who was a non-family president of our construction business. Yeah, And uh, I, used to, I, I joke, his, the best gift he ever give, gave me in the 10 years we worked together is he would... Twice a year, I had 11 vice presidents working for me when I became president and he was became chairman of the board. He'd go and speak to those 11 vice presidents twice a year and say, what has David done wrong lately? Yeah. And then he'd bring this bag full of garbage and dump it on my desk twice a year and say, well, so here's what we got to sift through and sort out. Yeah. Most family enterprise successors do not have that kind of a gift. Yeah. That, I mean, it was painful, right? But it was an extraordinary gift because I got the real world thrown in my face at least twice a year, if not more yes. often. Yes. And, 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 and most, fo most folks need to work outside the family company to get real genuine feedback like that. Yes. Yes. And that's so important because I think if we want to grow a culture which is based on, and, and it's even more important this in a family business, but a lot of non-family businesses are quite infantile in their approach. They're not very adult cultures. Sometimes they're lacking of accountability and, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, there's a sort of, uh, you know, don't tell me anything I don't want to hear sort of thing because I'll be upset and such like. And you, ha and you have to learn to get around that. So, you know, you often find a lot of managers treat people like children. But that's even more of a problem in a family business where your children are actually reporting to you. And, and it becomes very hard to to, to flesh out. The, the differences there so i just wonder um i just wonder actually when you think more about the um the family business so that 
how much the 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 role of ego plays into the the sort of problems and opportunities there well you know i grew up with the idea i played sport i played rugby all through high school and university prior to that played uh, football american not american european i played soccer as a so- kid. soccer soccer as a kid so uh, you know I, I learned how important it was to be self-confident as an athlete mm. uh, but i'm re- realizing actually self-confidence is right beside pride yeah, uh, you know, and I think I brought into our family company and very much an inflated view of my myself. Mm. And my dad actually fueled that because he wanted me to become president of the company, and he felt I could do no wrong. Well, that I was great to have a fan club who was the largest shareholder and chairman of the board. But actually, Russell, that I mean, I don't want to criticize my dad, but I think that I allowed his uh, confidence in me to actually undermine my willingness to admit that I actually didn't know everything. So I think arrogance and pride can be an enormous problem. And I, I know that I thought, I, as I said earlier, right, I thought I had all the answers. Yes. And, and to a certain extent, it's how you, ba- this is emotional intelligence, is how you balance confidence and assurity, uh, assuredness with arrogance and um obstinacy i mean it's it's the balance isn't it and sometimes it's just wisdom that only wisdom brings that to the to the point of um fruition would you say well i think w- w- wisdom typically comes from making lots of mistakes so You're, yeah uh, you can I, be I, wise I, in 20 <laughs> and you can be yeah. 60 and not wise at all is what i'm yeah, saying sorry. i don't think it's a, i don't think it's an age thing <laughs> but but you know what what comes to mind russell is if i think about it i on this confidence thing and how does that fit you know, when, when I, uh, in my 40s, took up competitive water skiing, so I'm still competing. Uh, I had the privilege of competing for Canada at the World Championships, Senior World Championships, the whole guy, Water Ski Championships in France uh, in September. Uh, as I comp- I've been training for, with a with a wonderful coach for many years, and I, and, and I said, you know, I, and when I go to tournaments, I'm, I'm often nervous, and I want to develop self-confidence. He said, no, you don't. You don't, you don't want to be confident in yourself. You want to be confident in your in your process. So, mm. it, you know, for in, in water skiing, one of the things I need to do, I'm six foot two. I need to ski like a six foot two guy, not like a not squatting like a five foot ten guy. So one of the things is don't think about yourself being great. Think about yourself being tall. Yeah. And so I think that there's a difference between focusing on doing the right thing rather than thinking you're always right. Does yes. that make sense? It does make and sense. I, yeah. Well, it's, yeah. it is that difference between uh, the me and what I, uh, the, as the, oh, the me versus what I produce. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you think about it, management's all about learning, you know, how to deal with behaviours and not and leave the person alone because you're not a psychologist, most people. So uh, it's it's that it's that splitting of the two things, isn't it? So yes, I think learning to deal with process is the key. And 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 one of the challenges is the passing of the baton, isn't it? So you said your your father was bringing you in to pass the baton on to you. It's it's one of the trickiest things to do, isn't it? Is to be the, is to be the marked, you know, the the, the marked man, you know, in that sense. Well, and, and you say it's tricky, Russell. It's so tricky. My my grandfather had a heart attack when he was, uh, in his eighties. It was, was nineteen fifty five. The, actually, the same week that I was born, my grandpa had a heart attack. Yeah. And um, if you can imagine the emotion, my father had to go to the hospital. And he had to make a decision. Was he going to go to the maternity ward to see me because I'd just been born? Or does he go to the intensive care unit to see grandpa who had a massive heart attack? Mm. 
And when my dad went down the, I think he went to see grandpa first. Yeah. So he went down well, he the would. hall. <laughs> I, I was going to see you for a lot longer. <laughs> That's right. So he went and saw grandpa and my grandfather, having come to terms with his own mortality, just looked at my dad and said, well, son, I guess the business is yours. And, and you talk about it being tricky. That, that seemed like a pretty benign conversation and, and a very wise one. Yes. My dad had been with the company for 17 years. Yeah. <clears throat> so totally appropriate for grandpa to say, I guess, son, the business is yours. But what that led to is my father assumed that he was to take a similar role to grandpa because grandpa gave him the role, yeah. the leadership role. It was a different role because my dad had two brothers who were also equal owners. Yeah. Well, you notice my grandpa said, well, son, I guess the business is yours. Yeah. My dad always understood he had two partners, yeah. but he saw it as his to lead. Yes. And uh, I think if I, if, I, if I could have whispered in his ear, I would have said, granddad's wrong. Yeah. The business is not yours. The business is your brother's. I guess, son, it's your job to serve your brothers. What a different, what a different sentence that would yes. have been. Yes, and granddad was an extremely wise, extremely gracious leader. And he was generous with his voice, but I think he slipped there mm. and created an expectation in my father that over 40 years gradually created resentment between my dad and his brothers who said one day said, hey, wait a minute. We got the majority of the company. You're out of here. My yeah. dad, on my dad's 50th year with the company, his brothers took control and got rid of him and sold everything. Wow. So, but that was, I mean, I don't want to blame granddad, right? Yeah. But but it, but I think that it started with that conversation being just slightly off the target. Yeah, and and it's that thing about I wonder how many things also are left to chance. They're not written down. They're not uh, isolated. They're on shareholder agreements. The shareholdings aren't clear. Nothing ha Nothing's clear about what happens when you leave and what happens when you join and how do we dilute and how do we how does we set these things up? Where you have to do that in an external company because of course you're bringing people together who don't necessarily know each other. This is sort of an implied trust because, hey, we're family, we're all working together. We must be, mustn't we? But that's a dangerous assumption to base uh, an enterprise upon, I think. Well, and, and I remember my dad mentoring me and saying, David, whenever you do a project or a joint venture, make sure you've got at least 50%. And I said, yeah. why is that? And he said, well, if you're less than 50%, then the other folks can do things to you that you may not want to have happen. Yeah. Take risks that you might not want to take. My dad told me that with great earnestness. And in hindsight, I realized he was telling me that when he was a 34% owner of our family company. Yes. Because, Russell, he thought, well, but we're family. I mean, that's, yeah. you yeah. don't have to have that written down. Yeah. Right? The, the implication was that his brothers would always be loyal and faithful, but they decided that um, they didn't want to work with him anymore. Yes. It was real, it was real tough, Russell. And human nature is, you know, surprisingly combative, especially between families. And you'll, you'll often, I mean, it goes back hundreds of thousands of years that families fall out and, you know, they... Um, well, I think the first the first murder was Cain and Abel, right? So I was go just going to say, I mean, I'm not particularly religious myself, but I, isn't that the first document? Well, the, the first that, evidence one anyway. Yeah. But I mean, even in all tribes, you know, brothers I mean, would tend, the reason there's so many boys is the brothers used to kill each other. It's, it's quite straightforward, isn't it? That we sort of practice on each other, didn't we? So, so I think that there's a sort of there's a there's an idea that we should all be lovey dovey and getting on well, but it's it's a 
you just have to watch programs where you see people leaving wills, bests to the yeah. next generation. You'll see how people take against that and fight and how they'll turn against a family, turn a family upside down to get an extra 3% or that ring that granny said I always should have had. And then you realise that the family bonds are more vicious because of the sort of implied family, the fam- because of the familial ties. It's more personal, isn't it? Well, and I think that I talked to a, a gal who used to, was one of the the uh, members of the Carnation, the famous Carnation uh, family, Carnation Milk, etc. And um, she said to me, uh, "I said the Bible says the m- m- money is the root of all evil." And she said, "Well, money gets a bad rap." She said, "I I think money is a multiplier." And I said, "What do you mean by that, Thayer?" And she said, "If you are a kind person." money can enable you to be more kind and do more good yeah. if you are a nasty person uh, your money can enable you to do more harm to others and i think that i i i think that's a very useful way of thinking about it because actually if you if you're, if you're correct and check your bible it actually doesn't say money is the root of all evil it says the love of money the love of money yeah right so i think that i think it's beautiful to think about money as a multiplier yeah. And it can enable us to do more. I know lots of folks who are from family enterprise who use their money to do a lot of good. Yeah. And I think I don't have to go far to think about my dad and my grandpa who were yeah. very generous and very gracious with their wealth. And so I think that uh, what we do with it's the key thing, Russell. Yeah. Not not it. it, it it's a, it's not it's not a bomb. Yeah. It's a multiplier. I think that's how, yeah. that, And it's the same with the business. The business is the same, isn't it? It's exactly the same thing. It's just a a mechanism to generate a tool. wealth. Mm. Now, I'm a big fan of emotional intelligence myself. We brought an AI into the UK in 1990, I think it was, with the Salome Mayer work, yes. which I'm a big fan of. Um, yes. So I love the idea that you're, you're bringing AI back together with the family business idea, because I think that idea of self-awareness linked to self-management and you know other yes, way, others' yes. awareness is the key, isn't it? It's that... Um, and I know you did, so in your book, you talked, you alluded to it basically a little bit earlier, but you talked about sort of nine characteristics. Uh, mm-hmm. I think, do you, is it characteristics, character, character traits, character which trait, are yeah. critical for all family enterprise successes? So maybe unpack that a little bit for, for us, if you would, David. Well, Russell, it, it comes from being on an airplane uh, a few years ago. I, I, I had been in two separate meetings with two separate families. I was facilitating these family gatherings. <clears throat> And I, I, Russell, I think I'd prepared well for the meetings. But as I was coming home from these two meetings, two different cities, on an airplane on my way home, a bit tired. And I was very discouraged because both meetings had gone badly. <laughs> I yeah. tried my best, but they'd gone badly. And I was trying, just doing a little bit of a debrief. I thought, what went wrong? And I thought, well, the first meeting, one of the kids, one of the next gens, one of the successors was impatient. His dad was 55, he was 25, and he wanted dad gone. Yeah. And his impatience just cast a negative pall over everything. Right. And I thought, yeah, okay, I wonder what happened in the other meeting. I thought, well, one of the kids had never forgiven his father for something that had happened decades earlier. Yeah. I'd encouraged the dad to write a letter to ask his son to forgive him. He'd done that, but his son had ne- couldn't let go of that. And I thought, you know, I'm sure glad I wasn't like that when I was younger. Or was I? Yeah. And I thought, I lack patience. I lacked forgiveness. And I grabbed a scrap of paper on the airplane and I wrote out and I realized that there had been at least nine, (laughs) at least nine ways I'd been unhelpful. And so I I lacked curiosity, 
I lacked humility. I, I lacked listening skills. I was always wanting to tell other people what to do, right? I, I lacked a sense of contentment. I, I lacked gratitude. And so these nine things, Russell, I realized they they really harmed my professional career, harmed my relationships, mm. harmed my desire to lead our family company. They got in the way, right? But they were stumbling blocks. And so I hired a young researcher who happened to be my son, the PhD, went to Durham. And I said, son, son, can you just check out the literature? What are what are business researchers and writers saying about the value of these nine things? And I came to realize that um, I, I'm not the only one who thinks that these things are important. No. And so uh, I've written about how important these things were in my life with, with the lack thereof yeah. and how helpful it can be if next gen leaders in family enterprise can cultivate these kind of things. And I think together as a cluster, they can create emotional intelligence and help next gens to do a better job. So that's the that's the main idea. Yeah, that, I think that's very wise. It's sort of quite like elements of roots of stoicism in there as well, isn't it? Which is, which again is the, the principle of wisdom, isn't it? It's this idea that, you know, somehow you're, you have this ability to stand back and just pause and just accept things as they are and then I, move I, on and i think I, when you're young you don't have that ability don't you because everything seems to be going 150,000 miles an hour because everything's racing isn't there i i love your thought that wisdom connects with this idea of pausing one of my uh, mentors years ago said that wisdom is to put time mm. between opportunity and decision mm. and he said you know if you're driving down the street and you see a vehicle that you want to purchase yeah and you buy it, that's being a little bit hasty. Wisdom is go home, talk to your wife first, check your budget before you before you buy that car, right? Wisdom is putting time between opportunity and decision. And uh, I think had I more patience and I'd, had I listened a little more, that would have helped form some wisdom in me because it would put a little more time before between yeah. opportunity and, uh, yeah. and decision. But then who knows, you would have still been stuck on a, a you know, um some sort of family business treadmill. You wouldn't be living this fantastic life today. You wouldn't be <laughs> writing books. You wouldn't be speaking. You wouldn't be running mentoring conferences and and well, it, and doing all this other stuff as well. So you know the, the universe has a funny way of working out, doesn't it? Well, one of yeah, one of my friends, has former pastor, said to me, David, it's amazing that God can take all of the blank that you've had in your life and 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 use that to serve others, right? Sure. Uh, and uh, I'm very fortunate that uh, I've been able to make a career out of what well, he says, harvesting my mistakes for for, <laughs> for a little so, to make a living. Just um, if you would just tell us what the books are called, where to get it, all that <clears> sort of stuff and how t- people can get in touch with you and find out more. OK, well, if anyone who's listening would be interested in a copy of my book, please go to my website. So it's just next step advisors ca next step advisors next step advisors.ca and just click on my website and you can order a copy of dear younger me because i'd be delighted to if you order it for my website i'll sign it personally for you and I'd be delighted to put it in your hands and hopefully you can learn from my experience to cultivate these traits of patience and humility and uh, critical thinking skills uh, russell we haven't talked about that but uh, one of my fans i'm a fan of, of walt disney and oh. walt, walt disney brought to his career of course he's known for many things but uh, reading having read his biographies one of the things i noted was that he was critical of ideas not critical of people 
And as a young man, I was so critical of people. And so I'm wanting to follow Disney's example and being critical of ideas. So those are some of the things we've talked about in, in Dear Younger Me. Yes. Yes. And it's interesting to write. It must be. It must have been an interestingly cathartic process to write almost a letter to yourself, which I know it's not, and it's not meant to be like that, but it's, it is that interesting reflection, is it? I mean, did I mean we, no one has regrets because you know regrets are pointless. But did you did you feel there were regrets that? Yeah, I did. I, I, Maybe yeah. regrets is the wrong word. Maybe it was reflections no, I, well, or reviews or learning points, but I don't know. But it, it certainly was cathartic to spend time looking in the rearview mirror, mm. uh, and uh, because, but it, you know, I think the pain is less the more the more distance you get from it. But I think that you know. I've heard people say, you know, that uh, time heals all wounds. I don't think so. Mm. I think if you harbor bitterness, it just mm. grows a cancer in your heart, right? Yeah. So I think I did find it helpful to write it out and get it out uh, and uh, and then learn from it. So I, it was definitely cathartic for me, Russell. I didn't do it as a catharsis. I did it hopefully to be helpful, but yeah. a positive byproduct was it was sure helpful for me to get it out. But I mean, the thing is, we're learning all the time. So if we can't learn from ourselves, then, you know, it's it's hard for other people to do that either, isn't it? So yeah. what's the next book then? I mean, I know you've just written this one, but do you have, I mean, well, I, I get the impression with writers that once you've written one, you get, you sort of not, don't, don't get the book, but you sort of figure out how it works. Yeah, well, I, yeah, we've got three, three under my belt. Now, my next book, God willing, will be called From Non-Athlete to World Champion. So oh. I... I grew up, my best friend was a gifted athlete. His mom was a two-time Olympian. And everything we did, Russell, he could do 20 times better than me. He was a, a rugby star, soccer star, hockey star, basketball, track and field. And and I, I was I came from a family where we there was not a lot of sports happening. And so he nudged me to play soccer, nudged me to play rugby. And so I was helped by him. And But I never dreamed that I could become... Uh, anything athletically i just i just worked hard and managed to get on the team i figured if there's 15 players as long as i was better than the 16th i could get yeah. on get on the pit yeah. but uh, i've had the opportunity now to win uh, four canadian national championships as a water skier uh, and uh, so i've been competing now at the world level as a skier so uh, that's that, that, that took a lot of change because i grew up thinking i was not an athlete mm. And Russell, I believe that I was not an athlete till I was 54. So that's a long time to believe that's something. Right. And isn't it astonishing how our beliefs just entirely shape who we are? And that's why you have to be careful. So it's interesting that your grandfather's narrative or that belief you passed on yeah. did such, you know, was the catalyst to so many the different catalyst. things. And I do you're believe that this... did such, you, you were going to say it did such damage. It didn't, but it No, it I didn't mean that. Actually, I stopped myself. It was, yeah. the, it was the catalyst. Catalyst. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's a, and I think it's something. There's something around the narrative side of the what we say to ourselves is so important. And I know not everybody has an inner voice, but um, it's it's odd if you have one to believe that you couldn't. But it's anywhere. Well, if we don't. don't have an inner voice, we borrow other people's. Like my best friend told me one day, I was really discouraged because I couldn't ride a bike as fast as him. And in in kindergarten, we were six years of age. Mm. He said to me, "What?" astonished he had the wisdom and kindness to say this as a kid to me i was so down on myself and he said don't be discouraged he said god gave you a brain he gave me a body let's be a team and mm. russell it was such a nice idea but i took that i interpreted that as a 
permanent uh, recognition or permanent uh, um, de <clears throat> declaration that mm -hmm. I was not an athlete. He's saying, God gave you a brain, he's given yes. me a body. Yes. So, right? so that's what I clung to, that I'm, yeah. I'm not like, right? Yeah. So he was being kind. Uh, he was trying to affirm me, but it took me to age 54 to, to, sh to get that, throw that one off my back. Yeah. Just, uh, I, I have a sense, that, ouch, I have a sense, David, that if we kept the microphone going, we could be going for another three hours. So I'm going to be very courteous to your time now and say it's been a joy to talk to you today. And um, you were saying that your um, website is nextstepadvisors.ca. That's advisors with an R, so the O in the middle. And the book, remind me what the book, remind, remind everybody what the book was called. Dear Younger Me. Yeah, yeah. thank you. And is that on Amazon as well and all those places? Yep, yep. Great. I just prefer people to order for me because I can sign it for them personally, but you can get yeah, it on Amazon. why not? For sure. Why not? Okay. And it's also available in audio, read by the author, believe it or not. Oh, I've heard this author. author. He's got a good voice, so I've heard. <laughs> All right, it's been brilliant. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. You, You've been a superstar, you so David. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much, Russell. You take care. Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed, and if you're in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com, then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.